Howdy and welcome to the 10-Week Bible Study. This is week 9, day 4 of our study of 1st and 2nd Timothy. I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and today we're talking about 2nd Timothy 3, 12 through 15. Welcome back to the 10-Week Bible Study. Again, I'm your host, Darren Hibbs. Before we get started, I want to encourage you to remember to read 1st and 2nd Timothy 10 times in the next 10 weeks. It really can transform your life and your encounter and experience with God's word. With that, let's go ahead and pray before we start today. Lord, would you open our eyes and our ears to hear what your word has to say to us. God, speak to us and fill our hearts with the knowledge of you. We want to encounter you through your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With that, let's jump into God's word. I'll be reading today from the NIV. This is 2 Timothy 3, starting in verse 12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He doesn't there, but we should have a full stop on that. So in the in the the so far in this chapter, in the previous passages, Paul has talked about all of the ways that people are getting worse, how the end times things are going off the rails and they're treating people bad and they're doing all these things. And he talks about his specific persecution. And Paul is mentioning a time when he actually got stoned, possibly stoned to death. They certainly thought that he was dead. And now he's telling Timothy, actually, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. This is really not intended to be hyperbolic in nature. He's not, he's not trying to be, you know, give a proverb that if you do this, you will be persecuted. He's not meaning that most of the time, most people who do this, well, he's like emphatic here. He's saying everyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. And he's specific here. He said, if you want to live a godly life in Jesus, in Christ Jesus, you'll be persecuted. You're not going to be persecuted if you want to live what someone would call a godly life or a good life. If you want to be a good person, if you want to do good, if you want to, you know, kind of live this karmic lifestyle where you do good to others and you hope that the universe will do good to you. There's actually a lot of Christians that live that way. And they think that that is the definition of a godly life, but that's, that may be what some people would consider a godly life, but he's very specific here. If you want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, that's, that's the rub. That's the rub. You bring, you bring Jesus into this <clears throat> and then all of a sudden you got to deal with your sin. You got to you got to call sin sin and then you got to deal with it. And that's really the rub, right? You can be a good person. You can live quote unquote godly life. <clears throat> you can do good. You can treat people well. You can give to the poor. You can do all sorts of of really really good things. But it's when you bring Jesus into it. And the problem with bringing Jesus into it is the reason that Jesus came, the reason that we name the name of Jesus is because we're sinners. We have fallen short of the glory of God, as Paul writes in Romans. We are deserving of eternal punishment. This is the bad news, right? This is not the gospel. The bad news is that we deserve eternal damnation. That's not, that's not the gospel. That's really, really bad news, but it's true. And Jesus forces us to deal with that. Now, the good news is that Jesus came, died on the cross, 
as a substitution. His, his atonement was substitutionary for us. He died on the cross to wipe our sins away. He shed his innocent blood to save ours. And then he rose from the dead so that we could resurrect to eternal life in the presence of God. But it all comes back to this issue of sin. People don't care if you do good things. They'll like you for that. But if you do good things in the name of Jesus, that's the problem. Because all of a sudden, that name of Jesus, it invokes not just the good news, but the bad news too. Because you can't in you can't enter into the good news. You can't enter into the gospel. You can't take on the gospel until you've understood the bad news. And that's the problem. Right? Nobody has a problem with Jesus if there's no bad news. You can tell people all day long, Jesus loves you. And like, oh well, thank you. I cool. I love that too. I give him great. Love Jesus. Love Jesus all day. Appreciate it. You can tell people that till you're blue in the face and it will not cost you a thing. But if you're true to the Bible, if you're true to scripture, you're true to the gospel, that there is good news that solves the corresponding bad news, that's when you'll be persecuted. That's what Paul's talking about here. You live a godly life in Christ Jesus. Jesus, meaning you live it in full knowledge of the bad news and full knowledge of the good news. That there is bad news that you are a sinner destined for hell, right? Nobody likes that. Nobody likes that. And people will persecute you because of that for sure, right? And there is a spectrum of persecution. It's not just martyrdom. It's not physical being taken, things taken away. Persecution on any level, right? People saying mean things against you on Twitter. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, is that really, really terrible? Not really, but you feel it. You do feel it. So that's like little p persecution, minor persecution, but it's real. It's real when you, when you feel it and you perceive it. Um, and there's a difference between being a jerk online and actually standing up for the name of Jesus and being persecuted, being, you know, mocked and talked down to about that. <clears throat> if you engage in the public sphere, you will be mocked. There are very real occasions where you will not get that promotion because you live a godly life in Jesus. Not just a good person, but you actually name the name of Jesus and you walk it out. And you're not ashamed to tell people that, hey, you are a sinner and things are not going well for you as, as you currently stand. But there's good news, right? It's, it's the good news is not the problem. It's the bad news that's the problem that people don't want to deal with because they don't really want to acknowledge the bad news. And if they don't acknowledge the bad news, they don't need a Jesus that's there to save them. They don't mind a Jesus that loves them, but they don't want a Jesus that saves them because that forces people to acknowledge, I am a sinner and I have to repent. That's the trouble. If you're not experiencing any form of persecution whatsoever, that doesn't mean that you're not a believer, but it is 
probably a, a good opportunity to ask, am I not living a godly life in Christ Jesus? Am I, have I conformed so much to this world and so much to the demands of this world that I don't actually put the name of Jesus out there? I don't actually ever tell anybody that, hey, you are in bad shape. You're a sinner. And you will be separated eternally from God unless you accept Jesus. If that never comes up, right? And again, it doesn't mean that we go around being as jerky as possible about it and online. Again, I'm not saying that every single conversation we have to browbeat people with, you're a sinner, damned to hell forever. That That's not what I'm saying. But if that never, ever, ever comes up, if that's never a conversation, never a reality, in our culture, that's really hard. No one wants to hear that. And people are very timid to speak that out. Paul's saying anyone who does that, anyone who lives that life in Jesus, right? If you invoke the name of Jesus on behalf of the good deeds and the good things that you do, that's where it gets challenging. So you live a godly life, but living the godly life doesn't actually change people's eternity. This is something that we need to wrestle with. And again, this is a very challenging thing because in the United States, evangelism, talking about Jesus, talking about the good news and the bad news, this is something that has almost entirely gone to the wayside. We love to talk about how much Jesus loves people, but we don't like to talk about the bad news. And for people to accept the good news, they have to come to terms with the bad news. There's no way around it. There really isn't. So this is a challenge to me. This should be a challenge to all of us. It's, Lord, how do we walk in this? How do we make this a part of our reality? Not that we're like saying, I need to do better at this so I can be persecuted. That's not what it is, but... But that persecution, right? The the disciples in Acts chapter four, they're preaching the name of Jesus in the the temple, and they they get beaten, they get persecuted, they get talked down to, they get all of the things, and they went away filled with joy that they were counted worthy to be persecuted. That's the the weird paradox about this, right? We don't, nobody wants persecution. You shouldn't do things specifically to get persecuted. That's nonsense. But if the persecution never comes, if people never speak poorly, people never oppose you. If people, I'm not saying that, you know, you have to go out and get beaten or anything like that, but if you never encounter that pushback, are you doing the good things for you or are you doing the good things for Jesus? And again, I feel this as well. I feel this challenge in my spirit. I'm like, oh, how often do I shrink back from naming the name of Jesus? How often do I shrink back from fully explaining the position that people are in so that they can understand the gospel? This is a very convicting passage to me. Verse 13, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, 
and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> Paul's saying the bad people are going to get worse. This is something that that John is commanded to, to say in Revelation, at the end of Revelation. He says, you know, let those who are doing evil continue to do evil, right? There's, there's going to be this increasing amount of evil in the last days. And Paul's saying the evil doers and imposters, they're going to get worse and worse and worse. And they're going to deceive people and they are deceived themselves. And it's just going to get worse. But he tells Timothy, you need to focus on God's word. You've, you've learned all of this stuff from me. And this is the interesting thing. As he said, he doesn't say from your youth. He doesn't say from a few years ago. He tells Timothy, from your infancy, you have known the Holy Scriptures. If you're a parent, if, if you're involved in children's lives, make sure they're getting God's word from their infancy. Part of a ministry here in the children's ministry, I love their philosophy. One of the things I say is that there's no junior Holy Spirit, right? You don't get old enough someday to be able to operate and, and, and know the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't matter if you're two or you're 20 or you're 80, the Holy Spirit is the same Holy Spirit. And so from the youngest of ages, we should be encouraging our children to know and understand God's word. Now, obviously, you know, we do that in an age appropriate way. Uh, you know, everyone, <clears throat> it's always funny when, when you look at the, the nursery walls and it's Noah's Ark themed, you know, so we, we do the age appropriate thing where we tell the stories of, of the, the animals coming to the ark and we kind of leave out the part where everyone else but Noah's family on planet earth dies in the midst of the story of Noah's Ark, we, we, we conveniently leave that out for the one years, the one year olds, uh, you know, but so we, we age appropriately start to explain the scriptures and start to read them. And I think that, that from a young age, we should have our children start to read the Bible for themselves because this is so important. God's word is the bedrock of our faith for uh, almost a couple thousand years we've been referred to by outsiders as the people of the book, right? We live by this word. We live by the words of God. This cannot be understated. We have to be people of the book. We have to know God's word. That is the whole premise behind the 10-week Bible studies. I want to encourage you to read God's word, read the book of First and Second Timothy. We're doing this in 10 weeks. You read it 10 times in those 10 weeks, and, and your mind starts to get filled with his word. We're going to go through the book of Esther next. And, and I want you to read the book of Esther 10 times in those 10 weeks, and you will fill your heart and your mind with God's word. Probably going to do Acts after that. I want you to read it 10 times in 10 weeks and fill your mind with the word of God. It will change you. It is the bedrock, the foundation of our faith is this knowledge of God that we receive from God's word, from the Bible. We can't live without it. We can't. And that's what Paul is saying here is the bedrock. It's the bedrock of who we are as believers. He's going to continue this. He's going to up the ante on scripture in our passage for tomorrow. But for today, that's all we've got for the 10-week Bible study. I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and I can't wait to see you next time.
Hey, thanks for tuning into the 10-Week Bible Study Podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, would you consider leaving a review for it on your podcast app of choice? It really helps other people find out about this podcast, and my heart is for people to fall in love with God's Word. Thank you.